This is Ein Yaakov, and we are still in Perak Aleph. We're going to be there for a long time. We are now going back to the story of Tamar. It's been a little while since we had this year, but we're still talking about Tamar. We're in a little Tamar detour. We're in Chavtes is the entry. Chavtes. The page is Kuftadik Dalad, and the entry is Chavtes. We're going to do Tamar for like four paragraphs, five paragraphs, maybe six paragraphs. And then we're going to get back to Avshalom, who we promised to cover in depth about how his hair ruined his life and how he ended up hanging from a tree. We're going to get to that. But right now we're in the middle of Tamar. So you want to be Tamar at a crossroads. It's, she's his daughter-in-law. He doesn't know. And that's what we're up to right now. Yehuda sees her at the crossroads, and he suddenly thinks that he's come across a Zayna. He thinks he's met a prostitute. He kisses a pana because she's covering her face. Now, I don't have a lot of experience, Baruch Hashem, at, with crossroad prostitutes. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about crossroad pro- but it is, you heard it first here. You heard it first here. I don't have a lot of experience with crossroads prostitutes. However, Rashi and everybody else, including the Gemara here, seem to say that this is irregular. Apparently, prostitutes don't cover their face. I guess because that's not the point, right? They don't, <laughs> the point is for you to see the woman, right? She's trying to show off, and here she is covering her face. So what's the Pasuk mean that Yehuda thought she was a Zena because she was covering her face at the crossroads? That is a sign of not a prostitute. Because she was covering her face, he goes, ah, every woman whose face is covered, that must be a prostitute since when? That's not the way that works. It's not that. It's that he thought she was a prostitute because this was the first time he'd ever seen her face. When he had been around her, she'd always covered her face. She'd always been very tzniyas. I don't know, bottom line. Right now she is, for the first time, showing off her face. So he assumes that she could be a Zaina because otherwise he would have recognized her. Right, so that was, that's the, the way to read this passage. That why did he think she was a Zaina now at the crossroads? Because Kisapanel when she was in his house. Okay. <laughs> Shmuel ben Achmini said the following, He says, Any kala that is a tznua, that is modest, when she's in her father-in-law's house, Any woman who is, any kala who is tznias in her father-in-law's house, she will merit to have kings and prophets come out of her. That's the schar for tznias, is malachim and nevim, kings and prophets. How do we know that? Metamar. We know it from Tamar. Nevim dichsiv. How do we know that she had children who were nevim or ancestors of nevim? Because it says in the Pasuk, he was the son of Amitz, and Malachim mid David. So Yeshayahu was a descendant of Tamar, and so was David Malachim. We know that Yeshayahu was the son of Amitz. Amitz was the brother of Amatia, and Amatia was a Melech from base David. So we know that all of them came from Tamar, because David is Tamar's great, 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 great grandson. And since that's, uh, since David comes from her, we can then trace Yeshayahu back to her too. So who were her two, uh, who were her two descendants that she merited because she was so tzniyas? She merited to have Yeshayahu, and she also merited to, who was a Navi, and merited to have David, who was a king. There is a, a fascinating Magid, a complicated Magid. It's in Eretera, on this idea of Tamar covering her face. Uh, that might be even an additional dimension to what David's already excited about. So the way that the Magid reads this, he does the whole thing, he says the word Tamar is a word that you can split into Tam-Mar. That something's very bitter, it's Mar, but it's also Tam, it's very pure. What is very pure and very bitter in this world? Not much, right? Things that are very bitter, they're also not very pure and simple. Things that are pure and simple, usually delicious. They're not, they're not bitter. So he says, what is, ah? Uh? So, olive oil. <laughs> the Tamar. <clears throat> Okay, so I'll tell you what this one is. This is a Machshava Zara. Now, you wouldn't think that. Says the, says the Maggot that a Machshava Zara, 
appears to be very bitter. It appears to get in the way of your Avedis Hashem. But the truth is, Machshavazaris are just ACS, holy letters from, from on high that got mixed around in a Tamura, also from the name Tamar, got mixed around in a Tamura to turn into a Machshavazaris. So when a person gets a Machshavazara, the Alta Rebbe tells us we have to push it away immediately. We shouldn't be tangling with trying to fix and, and, and elevate the ACS because that's Avedis Hatzadikim. But by the fact that the Alta Rebbe tells us that, that tells us that this is a Shita in Kabbalah and Chassidus, that in theory, our Machshavazaris are at least in theory very holy letters. Only Tzadikim know how to fix them, but they are very holy things at Machshavazaris. We, as Ben Nim and Rishayim, are obligated to just push them away because we don't know how to fix them. A Tzadik is able to fix that, but bottom line, that's what it is. The Metzias of Machshavazara is holy Isis. So a Tamar, a Tamar, is a bitterness of a Machshavazara that you recognize to have a kernel of Tam in it. If only there was a Tamura that would switch around those letters again. Now that we understand that, says the Magid, let's look at what happens right here. Yehuda sees her at the crossroads. He sees Tamar, he sees a Machshavazara, he's a Tzadik. A tzaddik sees a tamar, a machshavazara, and v'yachshveh lezoyna. Zoyna is zu noeh. He sees a machshavazara, and he says, actually, zu noeh. This could be something beautiful if only I could find its root in holiness. So he sees zoyna, he sees zu noeh. So he sees tamar, a machshavazara, says, I think she's a zoyna, zu noeh. Why do I think that? Because the panemius of this, which is so holy, is kisasa, is hidden inside the machshavazara. That if it wasn't for the machshavazara hiding the holy interior, kisasapanea, everybody would recognize zu noeh, because in fact, every machshavazara is a tamura, which is a tamar. That's a magid, you'll find it in Ertar. <clears throat> it says here, I just, I, I, some of Farsh might bring just because I think they're entertaining. We need the occasional comic relief. I don't know if that's respectful, but that's, a, that's the one coming up here. If you look here, I'm going to be Yenison. He says, any daughter-in-law who sees. Why say any? What's the call? You could just say Kalash Nuva Vesavia. What's it mean any Kalash Nuva Vesavia? So the Ben Yagyalda has three answers. I'm going to tell you two of them. One of them is that even if she's not Miyuchas, so we're saying here that any Kala that is, uh, that is a Tznuva is going to have kings come out of her in Nevi'im. Can I have a king come out of me? I don't know. Maybe. I might be from the tribe of Yehuda, but let's say I'm from the tribe of Binyamin. I can't make kings. It's possible I'm from Binyamin, right? Everybody alive today is from Levi, Yehuda, or Binyamin. That's it. Uh, Ask me why later. But everybody here alive today, and most of them from Yehuda, because we wiped up Binyamin by the Pelegish Begiva. So most of us from Yehuda. But let's say I'm from Binyamin. So let's say that I'm a, I'm a Kala, I'm very Tznias, and my father-in-law's house is from Binyamin. I can't have Malachim come out of me. The answer is, someone will marry somebody, I'll end up with Malachim. So even if I'm not Miuchas Kol Kala, even someone who's not Shaykh to, to Malchus, will end up having a king who's a Malach. There's another one from the Ben Yada, though. Ben Yada says, Kol Kala means that not everybody Davka has to be Tznias in order for people not to look at them. What if she's really ugly? That's what the Ben Yada goes. What if she's really unattractive? And that even if she wasn't Tznias, no one was going to look at her because she's a real mess. Says the Ben Yada, Kol Kala A woman gets schar for Tznias even if it's not necessarily distracting anybody. Even if she was sort of auto Tznias. <laughs> even if she was automatically that way. Says the Ben Yada, Kol Kala Even a woman who is not particularly attractive that no one would look at anyway. If she is Tznias of just like a woman who actually has to try. That's the, it's another ben yada. I wanted you to be aware of it. Uh, there is a straight line here in this Gemara between Snias, kingship, and prophecy. Every commentary wants to know why. What is the shaykhas between being uh, between very, being very modest and and churning out kings and prophets? I'll tell you a couple of the answers. Is the Maharal. The Maharal says that Snias is the meaning of precious, obviously, of separating yourself from the world, and uh, precious and Havdalah and Kedusha, and this is what Malchus and Nebuah are in the very etzim. The kingship is a certain degree of precious. You're removed from people in general. You're elevated to a level of Kedusha. There's a certain degree of Havdalah. This is also something that we see by prophets. So kings and prophets are people who are sort of of the 
uh, effect of tznius, that a person acting tznius is sort of acting like a king and sort of acting like a prophet because they are in a state of holiness and in a state of separation from the world at large. And then Yehuda says that it's mida kenegin mida, that she would end up getting this schar because tznius is that you're not causing a nichshel for people. You're not being nichshel people. When a woman is tznius and when a man is tznius too, they're not causing other people to have problems by looking at them. They're, they're, they're being a little bit more demure. They're hiding themselves a little bit. People won't, uh, people won't stumble because they've looked at them. So mida kenegin mida says the ben Yehuda, what's a prophet's job to make sure people aren't spiritually nichshel? And what's a king's job? By laying down physical laws, practical laws. A king is supposed to create a law of the land that makes sure people aren't physically nichshel. So as, in, as a reward for not making other people nichshel by not being tzniyas, you end up with a schar of producing children who also prevent people from being nichshel, either through the physical side of a melech or through the spiritual side of a navi. There's the Inyakov, the Inyakov, who's the main commentary on Inyakov. Um, the Inyakov says that it's from a Gemara that we learned in Nadarim Chaf. So every time we can we can link Saita back to Nadarim, I feel like we're coming full circle. So Nadarim Chaf says that Busha leads to Yira, which leads to Ruch It says, what's Busha? Busha is tzniyas. Right, Busha is a kind of tznias, a certain kind of humility, an internalness. So he says, Busha, which is really tznias, leads to Nira, which leads to Ruch HaKedr. So that is a straight line to Nevuah. Like chain? Huh? Like chain? I don't, what do you mean? Oh, no, just the one leads to another. Just that uh, Busha is sort of a humility. So humility leads to, leads to Yira, which in turn leads to Yira HaKedr. So it makes sense that somebody who has tznias would end up creating prophets. He also says there's a Gemara Masech Hasanedrin that says that overcoming chutzpah uh, that chutzpah is called a malchusa b'leitaga. That, uh, that, uh, what, what's a good translation of chutzpah? You guys know what chutzpah is, right? Chutzpah. Chutzpah. is chutzpah. Chutzpah is a malchusa b'leitaga. It's a king that doesn't have a crown. So chutzpah is a kind of lack of tznias. In exchange for somebody displaying the opposite of chutzpah, they get to produce a melech with a crown. That's the ben, that, that's the, that's the inyakim. I want to just end on a sechaf in the Rebbe, and then we'll call it for the night. The sechaf in the Rebbe, you'll find it in Teres Menachem, volume 10, page 280. He mentions, this is all over sechas, this first part, is that you might have noticed, if you haven't noticed already, this is going to be the moment that you're unable to ever unsee it again. Every person who has to do with making Mashiach is in a forbidden relationship. This is a rule throughout the entire Torah. Anybody you find who is a progenitor of Mashiach, they're always involved in some sort of dodgy relationship. Of course, you have Yehuda and Tamar. You have Rus, who, according to a lot of people, was not Jewish or wasn't able to marry or her conversion was no good. That's why in the story of Rus, Ploni Amoni says that he doesn't want to marry her. Boaz meets him in a Besdin and says, you want to try Chalitza, you want to marry her or not? You remember this story? You should read Rus sometime. It's incredible. In Rus, Boaz comes to him and says, I have a field for you. He goes, great, I love fields. He goes, I have a lot of money for you. Great, I love money. Comes with a girl. Tell me about the girl. She comes from Moab. Never mind. I don't want the field. That's, that's what he says. Because he's, he was afraid that she wasn't, he was afraid that, um, he, they thought back then that a female Moabiyah couldn't marry the Jewish people, not just a male Moab. They were wrong about the din. Boaz ended up marrying her, but that also looked usher. I mean, it's all the way down. There's a couple other examples too. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm getting it from. <clears throat> but anyway, you'll find this all over the place. Everybody involved in making Mashiach has what we call in Chassidus a neira alila. That is, that they're doing something that is awesome and above the seder, uh, the seder and the normal order and something that looks a little bit usher. Why is that? Explain it in Chassidus all over the place because something as important as Mashiach needs to come down to the world in a way that the, that the clippa, th- no, that the clippa thinks that it has a chalik. So the Klippa doesn't have a chilek in Mashiach. The Klippa will never allow Mashiach to come into the world if it doesn't think it has a piece of it. So every single time Mashiach's about to enter into the world, Klippa gets up and says, we're not letting this happen. And God goes, no, no, it's yours. Look, I made incest. Look, I had a daughter-in-law with a father. Look, I had a, a Moaviyah. You know, that's Usser. And Klippa goes, okay, I'm Maskim. And one step closer to Mashiach. So every step of Mashiach isn't Usser, but looks Usser. This is all over Chassidus. It's a concept called Nora Alila. Look it up. The Neva says here, though, that what do we see from this story? We see that 
Tamar was incredibly tznius, right? That's sort of the takeaway right here. So what is she doing at the crossroads? What is she doing as, what is she doing dressed as a zaina at the crossroads? A woman who's this tznius. And the answer that the Rebbe gives is kind of fantastic because you're definitely not supposed to take this literally, but you're supposed to take it as a life lesson. The Rebbe says that Tamar was a mesinefesh, absolutely mesinefesh to bring Mashiach into the world. What was Tamar's number one priority, her main feature in her younger life? Tznius. And she recognizes the only way to bring Mashiach is to do the opposite of Tznius. And what does she do? She goes and does it, which must have cost her great pain. That is, I'm sure that there are some people out there for whom not being Tznius is not the most painful thing in the world, but for Tamar it was. Tamar was somebody who loved Tznius. It was the thing that she was Mahadir in. It was her Zayr Tfei. And she was asked to be Mesa Nefesh, and that's what it took to bring Mashiach. Says the Rebbe, every single person has to look in their life to the thing that makes them most uncomfortable, the thing that puts them most on the edge, and the thing that requires most of their Mesiris Nefesh, and that's the way that they can bring Mashiach specifically. Just like Tamar had to find the thing that made her least comfortable and end up doing that for Mashiach. The reason why I say not to take this literally is I don't mean the thing that makes you most uncomfortable, that is Usr. I mean that, but I do, I don't, I don't mean that if you're a Tznua, go out to the crossroads and you'll bring Mashiach. Please don't. What I am saying though is that, uh, is that there is a temptation. We were talking about this in the WhatsApp group a little bit today. If you're paying attention to the, to the undercurrent of the discussion, a lot of people think that they could bring Mashiach by, uh, by doing things that are very easy. I don't know, hypothetically paying for an ad in a magazine or hypothetically saying a sentence. Which is, I'm not saying that they're wrong or not wrong. I'm saying that that does, I'm saying that if it, I'm saying that if it's easy, if it doesn't hurt, if it doesn't require mesiras nefesh, if it doesn't require really taking your, if it doesn't have a cost, if it's not a vidda, it doesn't require putting yourself out there and really digging out, digging deep into yourself, finding the place where you're least comfortable and standing and teetering on the edge. That's not what brings Mashiach. What brings Mashiach is the thing that requires the most Avedah. You'll find that in Chassidus there is a cloud that we don't bring anything without Avedah. Nothing works in Chassidus without Avedah. If something you're doing is easy, I can guarantee you that's not how to bring Mashiach. So for Tamar, this was very hard. That's why that brought Mashiach one step closer. If we can find things in our own lives that are perhaps a little bit difficult and require us to give a little bit, we'll each bring Mashiach each in our own portions. Thank you all very much.